Alright, so we're on chapter 8 of the Bhagavad Gita. So I'll start to read and hopefully something will come into my mind to talk about. We'll see. Arjuna inquired. So we're on chap uh, t uh, page 79 here. Text 1. Arjuna inquired. O my Lord, O Supreme Person, what is Brahman, what is the Self, what are fruit of activities, and what is the material manifestation, and what are the demigods? Please explain this to me. How does this Lord of Sacrifice live in the body, and which part of the body does he live, O Madhusudana, and how can those engaged in devotional service know you at the time of death? The living entity is described as one ten thousandth the tip of a hair, and Krishna is all. Krishna is described as the smallest of the small, also the largest. Everything is contained within Krishna, yet at the same time, he's the smallest of the small. So he enters into the hearts of all living entities. So you ten thousand, one ten thousandth the size of the tip of the hair. Krishna is even smaller than that, entering his expansion, entering into every single person guiding him from within. There you go. There's an interesting fact for you. What? The, no, it's all the same. The, the, ants, the ants is a, another living entity. Is there a mathematic symbol for that size? I don't know. I'm not sure about a mathematic symbol. Do you mind um, turning the lights on? Because it's going to get dark in here pretty soon. The Supreme Lord said, The indestructible, transcendental living entity is called Brahman, and his eternal nature is called the Self. Action pertaining to the development of these material bodies is called karma, or fruit of activities. Physical nature is known to be endlessly mutable. The universe is the cosmic form of the Supreme Lord. I am... And I am that Lord represented as the Supersoul dwelling in the heart of every embodied being. And whoever at the time of death quits his body remembering me alone at once attains my nature. Of this there is no doubt. So when you, when a person, uh, whatever state of mind the person is in, whatever he's thinking about, in other words, whatever his, his mind, whatever the subject is in his mind at the time of death, he uh, goes to there. He, in other words, um, if he's thinking of uh, a form of a dog at the time, at the end of death, at the end of life, where you know someone may be very attached to their dog, they're thinking about their dog, then then they'll enter into a dog body at the time of death. If somebody's thinking of uh, ghosts, goblins, and they end up, they go to that world. You know, whatever, if someone's thinking of the form of the, um, their husband or their wife, then they take on a male or female form, depending on what they're thinking of, you know. The person remembers God at the time of death, then he goes to God. Maybe it's cold in here now? I'm getting a bit cold. What about you? Yeah, so that's what happens, is that whoever remembers God at the time of death goes to God. So this might be seem like an easy thing that oh okay well I'll just do whatever I want this whole life my whole life and then at the end of life then I'll just remember God and then I'll just go to Him no problem well that is possible 
But it's very difficult to remember God when you're attached, when you're going to be leaving everything that you're attached to. So uh, the, uh, the yoga system is becoming attached to God now while you have, um, while you're healthy and developing this attachment through this, during this life. And then at the end of life, then naturally we remember who we're attached to. Our mind automatically goes to who, you're, who we're attached to at the end of life. And then if that attachment is God, then um, you go to God at the end of life. Whatever state of being one remembers when he quits his body, that state he will attain without fail. Therefore, Arjuna, you should always, always think of me in the form of Krishna, and at the same time carry out your prescribed duty of fighting. With your activities dedicated to me and your mind and intelligence fixed on me, you will attain me without a doubt. Without doubt. He who meditates on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, his mind constantly engaged in remembering me, undeviated from the path, he, O Partha, is sure to reach me. One should meditate upon the Supreme Person as one who knows everything. As he who is the oldest, who is the controller, who is smaller than the smallest, who is the maintainer of everything, who is beyond all material conception, who is inconceivable, and who is always a person. He is luminous like the, like the sun, and being transcendental is beyond this material nature. So here in text 9 we learn a lot about who is God? First of all, He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. That's one of the characteristics of God. There are many people that come to this world and try to play God. They try to say, oh, I'm, I was Krishna, I was Rama, now I'm Satya Sai Baba, or I'm um, this Baba or that Baba. But if you ask them, what was I doing? Uh, two days ago at this time they will know you know it's a test you can do that if someone says they, they were you know you're God what, were, what was I I am God what was I doing two days ago what was I doing five years ago in this day what was it what was that fish in the ocean who was he in his last life before he was that fish the, the one you can't even see over there in the ocean you know what about um, you, what did you do yesterday? You probably don't remember that. You know, and what's going to happen tomorrow? And all this. And what, does everybody, what did everybody experience? He'll know, God knows everything about everyone, past, present, and future. That is, that is the meaning of omniscient. You see? So if a person claims to be God, then that's, an, that's a test. That's one test you can do. Okay? Now here are the rest of them. Who is the controller? Who is the controller? He's a, the supreme controller. Many times, these so-called uh, gods, these fake gurus, they try to um, pass. They try to say that they're God, but they can't even control their own disciples. They can't even, you know, they're off doing all kinds of nonsense, doing stuff, getting getting followers themselves, competing against them. You know, getting, getting followers for themselves and then they experience fe feeling envious of their own disciples. This, <laughs> this is not, obviously they're not the controller, you see. 
um, who is smaller, smaller than the smallest, who is the maintainer of everything, who is beyond all material conception, who is inconceivable, who is always a person. So here's another, another um, very important thing to understand about God is that He is always a person. Many people try to say that the final word of the absolute truth is impersonal, but actually, and they say that um, God uh, is impersonal and He comes down in personal form, uh, but ultimately He's impersonal. But this is refuted right here in text 9 of chapter 8 in the Bhagavad Gita that says He's always a person. The Sanskrit word is rupam, which means form. He's al he's al he always has form. He is luminous like the sun, and being transcendental is always beyond this material nature. See, the, the, um, when Krishna comes into this world, or the incarnations of God come into, the wor into this world, they come uh, not uh, under the laws of material nature, because they are God, they are in control, they are the supreme controller, they are above the laws of material nature. So, uh, Krishna, for example, his body doesn't get old. You, you never see a picture of Krishna as an old man, even though he was in this world 125 years. You never see God as old, Krishna as old, because his body doesn't, um, he doesn't want to get old. He, does, he doesn't want his body to be old. He wants it to be supremely, eternally youthful and attractive, so therefore it is. It's never, it never appears old. However, because we are under the laws of material nature, then we are subject to old age and therefore our bodies become older and older and older. Uh, but if you are in control of the laws of time and the laws of matter and so on, then that wouldn't be the case, right? So another um, uh, uh, some more evidence against these uh, I am goddess is their bodies keep getting older and older. Just like uh, so all of them Every single one of them, they, be, they just become old, fatter, balder, <laughs> you know, because they're under the laws of material nature. They don't want to get old, they don't want to get sick, but they do. You never see Krishna getting old or never see Krishna getting sick, because he's in control, that's all. Another, on text 7 here, he said, You should always think of me in the form of Krishna, and at the same time, carry out your prescribed duty of fighting with your activities dedicated to me and your mind and intelligence fixed on me you will attain me without a doubt so this is a wonderful teaching of krishna here in text 7 is that we this is not only for arjuna but it's for us too we don't need to uh, go sit in a forest and and meditate and uh, cease acting in this world but we can do our prescribed duties but instead of doing it for ourselves, we, we dedicate those activities to God. And in this way, if we, if we live our life in this way, with our mind and intelligence fixed on me. In other words, when we do in a, in a, practic, in a practical daily life, in our, whenever we try to achieve anything materially or spiritually, uh, there's, there needs to be intelligence and mental activity of how we're going to attain those things, how we're going to do these things. For example, if I want to make money in a business, 
then I use my mind and I use my intelligence. Okay, what, what are people going to like? How are they going to uh, react if we do this? How are, we gonna re how are they going to react if we do that? We try different things. That doesn't work. We try something else and so on, right? We use our intelligence and our mind in, uh, in our activities. So the devotee of Krishna, he uses his mind and his intelligence on how to serve Krishna. You see, his mind and his intelligence are fixed on Krishna. So he's thinking, how am I going to give people Krishna? What can I do? What, what, what attracts them? What, what, what repels them? You know? how, how, do we, how do we make the kirtan so people will come? Or how do we advertise the classes so people will come? Or the retreats or whatever? What can we do, you see? So uh, the devotee of Krishna has his mind and his intelligence fixed on Krishna. So if a person lives like this, his, in other words, Krishna is the center of his life. His life is dedicated to him then he doesn't need to worry even what, he, what his mental state is at the time of death. Automatically he'll go to Krishna. This is his promise. This is Krishna's promise. You dedicate your life to Krishna. You use your intelligence, and your mind, you fix it onto Krishna. And, and Krishna or Krishna's service, which is not different than, than fixing it directly on Krishna. Uh, then you come to Krishna. Text 8. I'll read it again. He who meditates on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, his mind constantly engaged in remembering me, undeviating, deviated from the path, he, O Partha, is sure to reach me. So, here, meditating on the Supreme Personality of Godhead doesn't mean sitting, on, sitting in a forest and simply meditating on God and doing nothing. Meditating on God is living your life for Him. That's meditating on the, the one who's sweep, who's uh, doing all kinds of you know big stuff or little stuff, cooking or sweeping the hall, sweep, sweeping the uh, the center or uh, putting up flyers or something. However, or giving the talk or whatever. However small or big his contribution is, if he's doing it for Krishna, his mind is there. He, even though even he's, he's not even thinking directly of Krishna, he's thinking of how can I get this um, dirt off of the ground. Right? His, his, that's actually what he's thinking. His mind's on that. But his activity is for the purpose of uh, serving Krishna. Uh, then um, this is uh, not different and even more pleasing to Krishna than if you were to sit in the forest and just meditate, in, meditate on Krishna. Action in Krishna, uh, action uh, for Krishna is um, higher than simply sitting there and meditating on Krishna. And as you engage in devotional service more, uh, then what happens is you develop a uh, taste for it, and your heart uh, lights up with happiness more and more. And even this, uh, a, a simple act of like cleaning the, the meditation center um, becomes a very joyful activity as you become purified uh, in bhakti yoga. One who at the time of death fixes his life air between the eyebrows and in full devotion engages himself in remembering the Supreme Lord will certainly attain the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So in other processes of yoga, um, uh, not bhakti yoga, but like... Uh, Ashtanga Yoga and these things, Kundalini Yoga. 
a person raises his life air up through the chakras and places it between the eyebrows. Uh, this is a, a more, more or less a mechanical way for those who are not um, devoted to Krishna. They uh, engage in some mechanical process of manipulating the, the chi or the life air in the body and raising it up through the to the spine, to the shashumna, up to the different chak chakras and placing the life air in the, in the point between the eyebrows. Uh, they then meditate on God in this way. Uh, but things have to be right in order to leave in this way. As we're, I think we're going to read in the, in the next few uh, verses here. Person learned, learned in the Vedas who utter omkara and who are great sages in the renounced order and to enter, enter into Brahman desiring such perfection one, practice one practices celibacy I shall now explain to you this process by which one may attain salvation the yogic situation is that of detachment from all sensual engagements closing the doors of the senses and fixing the mind on the heart and the life air at the top of the head one establishes himself in yoga. After being situated in this yoga practice and vibrating the sacred syllable Om, the supreme destination of letter, the supreme combination of letters, if one thinks of the supreme personality of Godhead and quits his body, he will certainly reach the spiritual planets. For one who remembers me without deviation, I am easy to obtain. O son of Prita, because of this constant engagement because of his constant engagement in devotional service. After attaining me, the great souls who are yogis in devotion never return to this temporary world, which is full of miseries, because they have attained the highest perfection. From the highest planet in, in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery, wherein the repeated birth, wherein repeated birth and death takes take place but one who attains my to my abode o son of kunti never takes birth again so here he's saying even the highest planets are places of misery even the heavenly planets so the cosmic situation is that there are uh, seven planetary systems or sometimes they're divided into 14 or sometimes they're, they're divided into 3 but Basically, it's the uh, middle planets like we're on now, the, where the, there is limited kind of suf limited suffering and pleasure, and there's heavenly planets where there's material uh, pleasure is ramped up, the volume is turned up on the material pleasure, and the suffering is is very little. People in those worlds, they have youthful bodies for most of their life, and old age comes only at the very end, and there's barely any type of disease or anything but there is uh, and in the hellish planets it's the opposite the, the, the suffering gets turned up and the pleasure gets turned down and those in those planets uh, suffer uh, great material pain and discomfort so uh, but even in the heavenly planets there's there's a, a type of um, anxiety type of it's just like you know what it's like it's like when you have uh, you know you work Monday to Friday 
and then you have the weekend. The weekend's like a heavenly time, right? You don't have to work, right? But you know that you wish the weekend could last forever, and you're thinking, you're thinking, I don't want to, you know, I really don't want to go to work. I'm just going to enjoy this weekend. I'm enjoying my life here now. I've got my, you know, I've got the kids playing in the backyard, and I've got the, the barbecue happening, and I've got the beers going, and the tunes happening, and this is how I want to live life, you know. And, uh, and then, um, but you know in the back of your mind that Monday's coming, right? And you're, so you're trying to hold on to the weekend. I used to live like that when I went to school, but I, I don't know what that life's. I just remember it from when I went to school, but my, I don't live like that anymore. But when I used to live like that, I remember how much of a bummer it was. I tried to hold on to the weekend for as long as possible. And then, uh, you know, of course, the, the, you know, Monday would come and whatever. But living life in the heavenly planets is a lot like that because you know it's temporary. You know it's, uh, someday it's going to end. And you're addicted to the life. You really like it. It's really pleasurable. It's, it's said that uh, uh, the pleasures in the heavenly planets are uh, 10,000 times anything that you can experience here. It's a great pleasure and happiness in the heavenly planets. But it's at the same time, there's this constant anxiety there that you're, you don't want it to end, you know? And of course, death is there. So it's going to end eventually. And then you're going to go back down. Imagine that. Like, it's kind of like, you know, um, you, you, you're living in some nice place like Hawaii. And, and uh, you know the trip is only for a certain amount of time. And then you're going to have to go back to like... Um, I don't know, North Korea. <laughs> you you got, you got to go back there, you know? So it's kind of like, it's, there's, this, there's, this, there's really this kind of anxiety there that, that it's going to end, you know? So the, 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 the residents of the heavenly planets are thinking like this, you know? They're, they're addicted to the life, they're enjoying it, but at the same time, there's this anxiety. So Krishna says here, uh, from the highest planet in the material world to the lowest, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death takes place. But one who attains to my abode, O son of Kunti, never takes birth again. So the abode of Krishna is so pleasurable that no, once having attained that, no, but people who attain that have no desire to go back to the material world. So they don't go back. It's like, uh, I grew up in Canada, and I, I went to Hawaii, and I, I moved to Hawaii, and um, I was never going back to Canada. <laughs> After living in Hawaii, there was no way I was going back there, you know what I mean? Because um, I've been there, I know what it's like, you know? So... Um, Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just my, my experience of it. But anyway, that was my feeling, though. I'd say I'm never fucking going back there, you know? So uh, that's what it's like when people go to the Krishna's abode. It's so wonderful that even the heavenly planets, they spit at the thought of that type of um, enjoyment, you see? By, by, by human calculation, a thousand ages taken together is a duration of Brahma's one day. And such also is the duration of his night. 
When Brahma's day is manifest, this multitude of living entities comes into being. And at the arrival of Brahma's night, they are all annihilated. Again and again, the day comes and this host of beings is active. And again, the night falls, O Partha, and they are helplessly dissolved. So, uh, there's, here he's saying, a thousand ages taken together is the duration of Brahma's one day. So a thousand ages, uh, so one age is uh, something like three or four million years in our calculation. The first age is, um, the first yuga is 1.728 million years. The second one is 1.296 million years. Then 864,000 years. Then the one we're in is right now Kali Yuga, 432,000 years. So one of those times a thousand is Brahma's day. So it's in the trillions, in the trillions of years is one day of Lord Brahma. So at the end of that day, then there's Brahma's night, which is another 12 hours, which to, to our calculation, trillions of years. And at that time, um, all the living beings go merge into the body of uh, Vishnu in a type of, um, I don't know, some kind of sleep-like state where they're not active. And then when Brahma's day comes back again, they all become active again, you see? So this is for the people that are stuck in the material world. And, and then, uh, yeah. So, but when you become liberated, then you're not stuck, you're not in this kind of cycle. Yet, there is another nature which is eternal and transcendental to this manifested and unmanifested matter. It is supreme and it is never annihilated. When all in the world, when all in this world is annihilated, that part remains as it is. Oh well, it just said what I just said. <laughs> so that's what happens if you, uh, when when you attain to the transcendental abode, then um, there's none of this uh, manifested and unmanifested business up there. To the supreme abode. That supreme abode is called unmanifested and infallible, and it is the supreme destination. When one goes there, he never comes back. That is my supreme abode. The supreme personality of Godhead, who is greater than all, is attainable by unalloyed devotion. Although he is present in his abode, he is all-pervading, and everything is situated within him. So everything... There's nothing that is not God. Everything is God. Um, this world is an expansion of God. All this energy is God. We're touching God. Everything, we, we cannot be separated from God. This is His body. This is part of His, his, um, his energy. Um, yet, at the same time, He's separate from, this, from His material energy. And... He is existing uh, 
in his abode simultaneously, separately. That's just the way it is. O best of the bratas, I shall now explain to you the, diff the different times at which, passing away from this world, one does or does not come back. So, what he's, so when, when a, uh, a mystic yogi, in order to leave this, this world and go to the spiritual abode, he must leave when uh, the this astronomical situation is favorable to his leaving. So the yogi chooses when to leave his body. Those who know the Supreme Brahman pass away from the world during the influence of the fiery God in the light, at an auspicious moment during the fortnight of the moon and the six months when the sun travels in the north. The mystic who passes away from this world during the smoke, the night, the moonless fortnight, or in the six months when the sun passes to the south, or who reaches the moon planet, again comes back. So the yogi, he must leave at the right time. <laughs> Otherwise, he doesn't. Because this whole, this whole technical process of raising the life air up through the chakras and placing it at the top of the head, and then leaving through the top of the head, um, all must be done at particular times that is conducive to leaving. If he leaves at the wrong time, then he make there's every chance of him coming back and not getting to his destination. So it's a, it's a very like technical um, process of different things a person must do in order to attain this. If you want to attain the spiritual abode by technical means, then you must do it at certain times and when certain planetary influences are there and, and so on, right? So, um, the, however, the devotee of Krishna, he can leave at any time. He doesn't need to, he doesn't have to wait for any auspicious time or inauspicious time, not during the day, not during the night. It doesn't matter in winter or summer. He leaves, he leaves whenever, uh, um, whenever it's, uh, it doesn't matter when he leaves. Krishna, he gives his life to Krishna. Krishna is his protector and Krishna takes care of him. This is very simple. person surrenders unto the Supreme Controller and the Supreme Controller takes care of him. Right? But if a person doesn't have this attitude of, he, he hasn't devoted his life to God. He simply, uh, uh, this, this process of leaving, leaving to enter the spiritual abode through technical means is more or less for atheistic minded people. It's not really for people who are um, no, it's not for people who uh, know the existence of God. Just like uh, if I didn't, uh, you know, if like um, I didn't trust someone, I'm trying to get to Sydney, right? I'm trying to get from here to Sydney. And I can do it on my own strength if I walk there, right? Uh, but if I, if I accept the existence of nice people who can give me rides, if I have faith that other people generally are nice and someone might give me a ride, and someone offers me a ride, then I take it and I just cruise, right? I, just, I don't have to worry about like, uh, which, which way, which, am I going the right way? Because this person knows the way, right? 
is a knowledgeable, nice person who is offering me a ride, and I have faith that this person will take me to Sydney, right? So I don't need to like look at the map or you know do do make sure I'm turning here at this right, at the right time or doing this or doing that. I just simply put my trust in this nice person who's given me a ride to Sydney, and then he takes me to Sydney, right? This is the path of bhakti yoga. I trust Krishna. I trust God that he. He's going to take me. He's going to take care of me. So I place my life in His hands. I dedicate my life to Him. You see? Whereas the mystic yogi doesn't have that faith. He has faith in himself. So he's trying to lift up to God by his own um, uh, power. His own, because that's the only thing he has faith in is himself. Right? So there's a, whole, you know, there's a whole system of things he can do to become liberated. But it's got to be all done at the right time, right? But if you take shelter of the one who's in control, then there's no more worry about that, you see? So here Krishna is describing the path of this mystic yogi. According to the Vedas, there are two ways of passing from this world, one in the light and one in, the dark, in darkness. When one passes in light, he does not come back, but when he passes in darkness, he returns. The devotees who know these two the devotees who know these two paths, O Arjuna, are never bewildered, therefore be always fixed in devotion. So the devotees they don't need to worry about in other words, they don't need to worry about uh, if it's light or if it's dark or whatever. It's okay. They just take shelter of Krishna and and everything's sweet. A person who accepts the path of devotional service is not bereft of the results derived from studying the Vedas, performing austere sacrifices, giving charity, or pursuing philosophical and fruitive activities. At the end, he reaches the supreme abode. Okay? So basically, it's simple life. You know? We don't need to... There's so many... For elevation to heavenly planets, or elevation to spiritual planets, or... Uh, the Brahman effulgence. There's so many um, uh, things that need to be sacrifices, uh, philosophical and activities. So many different uh, activities that need to be done in order to achieve this. But the devotee simply uh, rests his heart, rests his life, trusts Krishna. Krishna takes care of him. That's all. So. Um, that's chapter 8. That's the, that's the end of it. Is there any questions? If you're dying and you're heavily medicated, how does that have an effect on where you're going next? Like I said, you're delusional, you're seeing things. And I don't know. Fair <laughs> <laughs> if one dies intoxicated, um, I just mean like... But I know pain medication. medication. Yeah. yeah, but how you were saying about you know, the last thing that you're thinking of. Yeah. Between one of our Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. But um, for a devotee of Krishna, it doesn't matter. A devotee of Krishna can take, can be medicated. You know, oftentimes people dying of, are in a lot of pain. Like, I have seen last year a person dying of cancer and she was, she was Japanese, and she was always also say, I can't remember the word now, like hitai or something like that, which, hitai, hitai, whatever the word was. 
and it meant pain, right? Or something like that, some word that kind of sounds like that. And, uh, and she was in a lot of pain. Uh, and this is the situation, you know, so, uh, but a devotee of Krishna can take medication and it, he, she, she, he can leave in, in a more, in a more comfortable, in a comfortable way and not be worried about it, you know. So, um, but everything changes when you're not a devotee of Krishna, all these things, you know, have an effect, yeah. Any other questions? Basically, um, you know, we, we need to come to understand that we're actually weak, we're powerless, we need to help, we need protection. And when we understand that God exists, then we know our natural place of refuge is in Him. And so we take shelter in Him. There's no need to be a great mystic or a great um, meditator or um, some kind of very austere person. If that was the case, then spiritual life would be impossible, basically for everybody. But really, the essence of the Bhagavad Gita and the essence of what my spiritual masters wants to impart to me and others is that um, Krishna loves you unconditionally. It's just a matter of taking shelter in Him. And that's the essence of all the teachings. We, we, we come to understand our actually vulnerable and weak state. And from that humble, from this humble state of mind, then we take shelter in Krishna and everything is fine. There's no worries. <coughs> but as long as we're thinking we got it together and we are, uh, we can take care of ourselves and so on, then it's very difficult work. With these people, I'm not speaking for me, but um, people who are very heavily involved in religion and do believe in God, but not in the same sense, like is there any... It's not a matter of uh, if they're in any kind of religion or not, it's if they take shelter of God. You know, whether they call God Krishna or they call God Allah or Jehovah, it doesn't matter. What matters is they actually take shelter of God. You see, this is this is what's important. Problem is, is that um, mostly in uh, we don't hear these teachings. Yeah. So, a particular religion, so-called, should be judged on what influence it has on a person to take shelter in God. Will they actually, do they actually um, give their, their life, they give their heart? Taking shelter doesn't just mean, uh, you know, joining or, it means, it means to actually give your heart, you know, because we take shelter in so many things, TV, uh, video games, I don't know, <laughs> our jobs, our family, our, you know, hope in this relation, in this world for relationships. We have all this, these, these shelters, these 
where we put our mind and our um, desire for happiness, that's, that's not taking shelter of God. That's taking shelter of the material world. So taking shelter of God means taking shelter of God for your heart, for your everything, you see. And this is not so easy, you know, because we have our, our um, conditioning and our lack of faith. So, um, a process, a particular spiritual process, should be judged on its ability to influence us to give up the shelter of the material world and to take shelter of God. You see? This whole religion thing, um, Catholics and uh, Hindu and uh, Buddhist and this and that is very um, it's not real actual spiritual life joining some organization or claiming to be a member of a, an organization it's not a this is not spiritual this is, this is just uh, worldly stuff 